So, man, it's going to be interesting to see how this stuff kind of plays out with these. Uh, I, I know you've been checking out the articles with the uh, you're seeing all this intermodal traffic coming into the ports and all of that stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, people throw the big word around like logistics and, and, it, and it's vague at times. But, but um, you know, it's, it's just been interesting what the facts have been lately on intermodal intermodal traffic or the lack thereof in some cases and you know the 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 role of railroads play in it it's it's crazy i just i said it's just interesting that the ports are are seeing record container movements and inbound shipments and outbound shipments but yet and still the railroads uh the intermodal traffic like when you look week to week and stuff you see the the uh intermodal traffic figures is like it's very inconsistent. It's either going up, going down. I mean, there's numerous mm -hmm. reasons that could be, but it's just weird that it seems like the railroads aren't capitalizing on this additional port. I don't know if it's the lack of capacity. Like it's it's just interesting, man. It just it doesn't seem like there's there's a, it, the correlation is not between increased traffic there and and sustainable growth on the on the railroads, especially on the class ones. It just seems kind of weird that it's not. Um, it, it, it's not, it, it's not, the, the, the traffic isn't translating to additional intermodal traffic on the rails, it seems like. No, it doesn't, man. And uh, I can't wait to dive into this a little bit further. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, I think this is going to, it's probably going to be something we're going to have to, you know, revisit here in a very, 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 <laughs> very near future, brother. Very near future. Can't wait, man. The material contained in the Diverging Clear podcast is for informational purposes only. The ideas and opinions expressed in the podcast does not represent the views or missions of the National Rail Passenger Corporation or Amtrak or the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission. This is the Diverging Clear podcast. Approach diverging, milepost 20.04. Diverging clear, milepost 20.06. Welcome to Diverging Clear, your transportation podcast, with your hosts, William Moore and Jermaine Walker. to the season two premiere episode one of the diverging clear podcast i'm your host william moore and coming to you from the eastern seaboard is my co-host jermaine walker i first like to say thank you for tuning in and also don't forget to click the like and subscribe button for this podcast on youtube spotify apple google play anchor and any other platform that you listen to or watch your favorite podcast let's get down to business how you doing today my brother 
man, it's, uh, it's been a while. Happy New Year. And uh, it's great. It's definitely great to be back. I apologize for the background noise. Apparently, my neighbors are arguing, but if you don't mind that, <laughs> no, hey. It is, going, right? it is what happens in the new technology age. You know, uh, sometimes uh, you pick up you pick up sounds that uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you ain't weird, got no control man. over. Streets is real out here. <laughs> I don't know who's I don't know who's winning. So <laughs> I can tell you who's gonna win, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's good to see you, brother. Uh, glad everybody's back healthy. Uh, it's always a blessing when you're able to make it back. We're back for season two. We gonna have uh, this is gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun year, man, and fun topics informational topics we're gonna try to keep you interested but uh man it's good to see you again good to be back but uh let's see what you got for our first topic on today's episode absolutely why not kick this off with a good old-fashioned fight or as railway (laughs) age called it on february 17th 2022 stv slugout amtrak versus csx round one 62 persons made statements followed by the combatants themselves the battle line was drawn roughly 50-50 between those who want to see passenger trains between Crescent City and Mobile and those who don't. This 13th article is an account of the battle from my virtual viewing position on the STB YouTube channel. I believe the difference between Amtrak's willingness to pay and CSX's demand for payment it was, is within negotiable range, but there was a little acknowledgement of that at the hearing. The latest skirmish was fought hard on Tuesday and Wednesday, February 15th and 16th. Holding their grounds through it all were Amtrak, joined by elected and other officials from Mississippi and advocates for passenger trains from around the nation, and CSX, the shippers, and a multiplicity of officials from Mobile and elsewhere in Alabama. The front extended into offices and dens throughout much of the nation. The objectives of both sides were strongly articulated and the battle line was clearly drawn. The action lasted uh, for slightly more than 10 hours, three quarters of it on Tuesday. Pre-trial matters that were not a part of the hearing followed on Wednesday. Based on the testimony, both sides have clear objectives. Amtrak and its allies plan a major campaign, if they win the battle, to convince the states to establish new state-supported trains and corridors in every region of the country. Its battle plan is Connect US, revealed last year. Amtrak's 2035 map, hopes and challenges, and is Amtrak's 2035 map riding on a surfboard. CSX and its allies wish to prevent Amtrak from ramming Connect US down their throats. STB chairman, Martin J. Oberman managed to retain his neutrality and composure throughout the proceeding. And he started by laying out the ground rules for the combatants. He said he wanted interested persons other than parties to give their impressions and mentioned that this was a case of first impression, which everybody knew whether or not they chose to admit that in their statements. He said Amtrak has made its application on the 49 USC uh, 24308E and introduced the hearing by announcing Amtrak is seeking an order requiring CSX and Norfolk Southern to allow Amtrak to operate two round trip inner city passenger trains per day over the rail lines of CSX and Norfolk Southern between New Orleans and Mobile. We have had discovery in this case and we've received numerous filings already, including evidence and argument by Amtrak, CSX, NNS, and the Port of Mobile. 
Early next month, we will have a formal hearing on the record involving those four parties. The primary purpose of today's session is for interested persons other than the four parties to the case to provide comments. So that was a lot there. <laughs> that was yeah. a lot, but but uh, yeah. interesting topics. And I'll let you speak on this uh, because uh, if you actually listen to the whole episode and the disclaimer, uh, certain things I can and cannot talk about, but I'll leave this to you, brother. Well, I'm not going to, what I will say is after, man, let me tell you, there's a lot of hours sitting there listening to this. Um, a lot of hours. Um, but well, I would say to me is interesting. Um, you know, admittedly, this is the first time I've I've heard of STB Heron. Um, you know, at least this part of it, uh, where where you know, see, so you got you got the you got the big wigs from CSX and Norfolk Southern Amtrak, you know, going back and forth on that case of why or why shouldn't. Um, I, I would say the STB had some fair questions. Um, they they really um, they they really looked at this, you know, to me with a with a good set of glasses. Um, if you will, um, for both sides, um, arguably. And um, I, I really, what I, what I really appreciated was, was the cases that, you know, CSX represented their case pretty well, of why the infrastructure needs are, 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 you know, have to be paid for and things of that nature. Because one of the things you always hear the kids on the street say, uh, yesterday's prices are not today's prices. And in a sense of, Yesterday, what worked for infrastructure doesn't work for today. And so, and so to me, between Amtrak's case and what CSX and NS is arguing, um, I, I really leave all out the, you know, the other people. For the most part, the, the CSX and NS case and Amtrak case, I feel like there's a middle ground somewhere. Um, maybe not the, what, $2.3 billion that six, CSX was asking for or requiring, um, of course, but uh, I feel there's a middle ground. Um, and, I, and I think Amtrak is, will have to come up with some money because again, you know, one of the, one of the things about the infrastructure was a lot of the sidings mentioned, uh, I think it was about three of them, so don't quote me on that, but are 10,000, about 10,000 feet in length. And, you know, where they are today, um, running trains, they, the trains, a lot of the trains are way, more than 10,000 feet in length as far as the freight trains go. So you're going to have to extend those, uh, make those sidings signal or controlled sidings. I believe they said at the hearing, those, a lot of those sidings are um, not signaled sidings. Um, so again, it was a long, it was long, it was a long hearing, uh, but it was interesting. And um, I think, I think there, I think there's a middle ground there. Um, you know, Amtrak wants to, you know, wants to run on freight. Um, I know they're obligated to since freight long time ago gave up passenger service. Um, but it, it's, you know, there, there's, there's going to be a cost in the middle um, to restore infrastructure and, and build on new infrastructure um, to make this happen. But I thought it was interesting. And if you really, you know, have time, I think people should really just really sit back and just and, uh, and take a look at that. You know, but that's my that's my view from it. One thing I can speak on on it is uh, it's not even necessarily speaking on it, but I'm just curious to see uh, because there were some issues raised uh, by uh, Chairman Oberman, uh, some points that he brought up about the congestion that's already exists 
on that territory, which to me, they, I think that's going to be an interesting question. I think they kind of passed the buck on until they're going to explain it a little bit more in the hearing because he was asking about, in, in particular, congestion around Gentilly Yard, and I believe also uh, near the, uh, uh, in over in Mobile about where they wanted to relocate, uh, wanted to locate the Amtrak station. But it, it to me, it was an interesting question because, I, I mean, as you alluded to, today's prices, uh, yesterday's price ain't the same as today's pricing. Lord knows we know it's there right now. Try going to the gas station or going to buy a loaf of bread. We know this, but I think that I think the the important question I think that CSX and NS are going to have to answer is, okay, if you already if you're having these issues, because I remember them talking about the uh, the coal train at Duffy Island and they had delays um, basically built into these certain train schedules. Um, why haven't you addressed it? You know, if you know that these areas are delayed or congested, you're building in time in their schedules, which I thought was an excellent question. Mm -hmm. Why haven't you addressed that, that those capacity or, or those issues um, either by service design or basically by infrastructure design? And you gotta also understand that is a very geographically challenging area, especially on the New Orleans side, because there's just not a lot of land there. <laughs> let's be, let's be, I think every, every nook and cranny that can fit rail in it's pretty much been filled with every with every bit of track that they can fit, but I just I think it's just interesting that um, the way that it's being perceived is that these uh, two round trips would be the make and break of this territory, and just on a personal this is no reflection of any thoughts or opinions of Amtrak or anybody else. This is just my thought from being a former train dispatcher. And being a, a, a former, uh, uh, you know, just being in the rail industry, knowing Amtrak trains are typically less than a thousand feet, technically really less than about 400 feet. You can't squeeze two trains in there, but I'm just saying, that's not going to make or break that territory. That's all I'm saying. And I'm going to leave it at that because otherwise I'm going to get in some trouble. But I'm just saying like, you can't figure out how to fit a 400 foot train. And like I said, that's probably with extra cars because our average Amtrak car is 89 feet. The locomotives are about 70 feet. So if the train, if it's a, a three or four car train, I mean, it's basic math. Y'all can't fit that in, really? Like it's this much of a challenge to figure it out, but I'm sorry, I digress. I'm gonna get in trouble. That's it, I'm done with it. Yeah, it's gonna be it's it's uh yeah man. Um without hijacking this, I'ma just say yeah, it's uh it's interesting, man. I, I could see the case on both sides. Um I, I'll keep it to myself as to which way it sounded like they were leaning. Um from that, if if you could really say they were leaning, I, I would just say more so who who made their argument a lot better than others and we'll leave it at that yeah we'll, we'll definitely have to leave it at that i'll tell you what i will be tuned in and I, I you can call me a real nerd if you want to but i will definitely be listening to that hearing that that next hearing or if i got to watch the replay of it because uh that the actual hearing is going to be interesting because i think it's going to be uh 
it's going to be a wealth of information and, 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 and philosophies expressed in that hearing. And I'm going to be interested to hear how it goes. So that's my last say on it, but I am looking forward because it is, this is going to set an important precedence. You know, one thing that they covered was that, you know, there was, there was abilities for this, this service to be reestablished years ago and it wasn't, which me and you discussed off, you know, offline before why, this is a difficult, this is an interesting fight mm -hmm. because the way Amtrak is structured and it's just, it's so many different things that's feeding into this, which every argument you can say, okay, that's a good point on this side. Okay, that's a good point on that. So this is gonna be interesting how they shake this out. But like I said, for reasons that we've mentioned before, especially my disclaimer, that'll be the last I say about this. <laughs> Freight, dealing with freight and passenger trains mixing together sometimes could be a very, just it's very messy. And, and um, I'm gonna tell you, um, I honestly think what Virginia worked out was CSX in regards to the RFMP and the big purchase there. I really feel like that is gonna be the foundation, the framework for what railroad may look like going for freight uh, freight and passenger railroad look like going forward in the future um to really to really get these corridors that passenger is really looking to get and really looking to run in that in that kind of space i think virginia really laid the framework uh the groundwork if you will to say hey this is what we need to do to run our trains uh state supported with amtrak and vre uh, I, I just you know they they really you know they they did a mic drop say hey you know what what do you need we want this you got it what do we you know what do you want and bam and uh that that just may be the that may just be the path forward man honestly yeah, fair point we'll we'll see how it shakes out man we'll see how it shakes out now let's uh let's move on to the main story of today's episode which uh, was garnering a lot of attention at the beginning of January. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, bring this up. Uh, but the BNSF and Montana Railing decision to end its lease and the, the property is essentially returning back to the BNSF. So uh, what's going on here is... <clears throat> This is uh, the Railway Age uh, article from January 11, 2022. So this is a little over a, little over a month ago. Um, after more than 30 years of operating BNSF-owned mainline between Huntley, Montana, and Sandpoint, Idaho, Montana Rail Link reported on January 10th that it's seizing its operation. It's long, I'm sorry, ceasing its long-term lease with the Class 1. This is the article said from Railway Age, uh, January 11th. <clears throat> As the freight market has evolved, more than 90% of the freight volume moving on the MRL is on, is on BNSF trains, a class two Railway Age 2013 Regional Railroad of the Year explained in its January 10th letter to its employees. It issued a, it issued a media notice later that same day. <clears throat> When MRL was created in 1987, our vision was to become a safe, reliable regional railroad in partnership with, with BNSF, then Burlington Northern, to provide customers with competitive, consistent service. 
and employees with good, stable jobs. President Derek Oldman wrote to the employees of the MRL, which is founded by entrepreneur Dennis Washington and is part of the Washington Companies. Thank you to, thanks to you, we have achieved that vision together and answered the call since the day we began operating our trains. MRL, the main street of Montana, has operated more than 900 miles of mainline and branch trackage from Jones Junction, which is uh, located in Huntley, Montana, west to Sandpoint, Idaho, where the trackage rights beyond Sandpoint to, uh, with trackage rights beyond Sandpoint to Spokane, Washington, over to BNSF. He noted that the regional had flourished not only through its service to more than 100 Montana-based customers, but also by providing an important bridge route for roughly one-third of BNSF traffic's traffic moving to and from the Pacific Northwest. Much of that PNW traffic involves grain, coal, and other commodities being exported overseas, making MRL a key player in international trade. MRL on January 10th reported that the line has become a critical link in BNSF's Northern Transcontinental Network, delivering grain, consumer, and industrial products to the West Coast. By MRL ending its lease and BNSF resuming operations of its line, BNSF will eliminate the need to interchange freight between the two railroads, strengthening the resi resiliency of the supply chain and enhancing rail capacity in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, one of the last parts I just want to mention from this article is that BNSF has committed to retaining the 1,200 plus union and non-union employees of the MRL and their current jobs with similar pay, benefits, seniority, and other employment terms, according to MRL. While MRL and BNSF have reached an agreement to terminate the lease before it concludes, the move will require the negotiation of collective bargaining agreements with affected unions, and it must be approved by the Surface Transportation Board, MRL stated. So that's a lot there, a lot to go through there, but essentially what this is, is uh, saying is that um, basically the Montana Railway became the BNSF. <laughs> to, 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 long story short of it, with all the traffic that they're moving. Um, and I understand what the BNSF is saying is why are we interchanging to another railroad when that's technically our railroad? You know, and then it gets, you know, they're basically handing off twice or handing off once when they could just roll it back into their phone. And so it's another article that's mentioned there, but before I move on to the next article, uh, any uh, any comments uh, that you got there, Jermaine? It's got, it's got to be a, a little bit of a culture shock to employees that are at MRL. Um, you know, MRL, like one, um, I knew personally a lot of people that was interested in going to Montana just to, just to be there and be a part of the um, company. But I've heard nothing but great things from the people that, that do work there. And it's, uh, it's, it's a little bittersweet. Um, they, I mean, you know, from the eyes, they, their locomotives are beautiful, man. I got a, <laughs> the color scheme just, you know, so as a fan, you know, I'm going to miss that. Like, you know, just, just the color schemes and, you know, they did, they did a locomotive with the, with the armed services and the representation yeah, there. So yeah, it, was, it, was, it, it was, it was, it's pretty good. But um, in, a, in a way I, I do think about the employees and, and, and just how, how uh, that's beautiful, man. 
Um, I, I think about the employees, man. Do you know it's? I think it may be a bit of a culture shock, you know, like going into BNSF um, a little bit. And that's not a that's not a dig at BNSF, but I tell you, BNSF has got a lot of battles on their hands right now, you know, especially with the whole uh, timekeeping uh, issue that they have going on with the time and attendance, and the court and the court battles where they're you know against you know the union members going on strike, mainly T and E of course. So I, I just I just hope that you know those MRL employees really get treated well as they get folded into BNSF. Um, but I, you know, so it's bittersweet, man. It's bittersweet. I agree. Well, I ain't gonna lie. My, my favorite, uh, probably outside the SD40-2s and the SD70s, uh, Montana uh, Rail Link has uh, some, uh, oh <laughs> the, the Montana Rail Link has some nice SD45s, man. I, I love those, man. They, that in the blue and black scheme with the Montana Rail Link on the side, that's just, I just had to mention that because that, you know, we do, we, as we do talk about too, we are rail fans too. You know, we don't only work in the industry, we love this industry. So we pay yeah. attention to that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, one of my uh, coworkers, uh, Peter Lewis that I work with at uh, Amtrak, uh, he actually just left out on Saturday evening, flying into Billings, Montana to go fil- uh, photograph the Montana Rail Link for his vacation. Nice. So he's supposed to, uh, I'm hoping he sends me some pictures because I wanted to put some in on our, uh, at some point in this, uh, in this episode, but yeah, one of my, one of my coworkers just went, uh, it just literally is up there right now, uh, taking pictures as, you know, as we kind of, uh, we know that this is going to be coming to an end. There's no reason why the STB would deny them ending the lease, especially with the conditions involved that they're going to retain their employees. They're not shutting no traffic that no, you know, they're going to keep operations as is. So I don't see it being a big deal. I think the SCB will, unless a union or somebody objects, but I still think it's going to happen. But the the time might be limited for you to get up there and get some photographs or get some video up there. So, you know, um, he said it is a little bit bittersweet, but to be honest with you, I think it was something that that was going to become necessity. Um, at some point. Um, we'll go into this next article in, uh, from Trains uh, Magazine. I'll read the uh, beginning uh, portion of it, and it'll kind of, it's uh, from Bill Stevens of Trains, and uh, he talks about the reason that the, uh, why the BNSF needed to essentially to terminate this lease, that it, it needed to come to an end. So I'm going to go ahead and share that, and then uh, we'll talk about this a little bit. Um, so like I said, this was in Trains Magazines uh, by Bill Stevens on January 21st, uh, titled BNSF Needed to End Montana Rail Link Lease Analysis. <clears throat> so uh, it says that BNSF is taking back Montana Rail Link's lease on the former Northern Pacific Main Line across Montana and Idaho for one simple reason, to control its own destiny. In recent years, the growth-minded BNSF has made significant capacity investments on the routes to and from the Pacific Northwest. To the east of MRL, BNSF built new and extended sidings between Fargo, North Dakota and Billings, Montana, area where while adding centralized traffic control and positive train control, 
even though it was not mandated to do so. BNSF also expanded terminals at Fort, let me see, see if I can get that right, Foresight and Glendive, Montana and Mandan, North Dakota. To the west of the MRL, BNSF is building a second bridge over Lake Penn. This word always gets me. You know how to say that? <laughs> Lake Penn or... Uh, I don't even think I can try, man. Let's just call we'll it call Lake Penn. Orielli. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Lake Penn, Orielli in Sandpoint, Montana to eliminate <laughs> the single track bottleneck at the funnel where MRL and the Northern Transcon converge. <clears throat> BNSF also double tracked this from Sandpoint to Spokane, Washington and installed double track and extended sidings from Spokane to Pasco, Washington. BNSF cannot can't add more capacity on the former Northern High Line across Montana's northern tier. There's just no room to double track the northern transcon in the confines of the Kootenay River Canyon. I had to say that slowly. They won't get in no trouble. No, I got you. Um, so here's a map of what they're talking about the area here, the uh, the rail link uh, here, and then of course the uh, BNSF northern transcon there, um, which it says, the, the article continues, which brings us to MRL. The Unicorn Regional Railroad was created as a 590-mile bridge route between Burlington Northern at Sandpoint and Jones Junction near Billings. While MRL has added capacity since its operation inception in 1987, it has not done so at the same pace as BNSF. The result, BNSF could more than double the traffic carried on its route from Fargo to Jones Junction if not for Jones Junction Sandpoint capacity constraints on the MRL. There aren't physical barriers to adding capacity on the MRL on Montana railing, but because the way the 60-year lease is structured, the volume guarantees for MRL, the probably independent regional has little incentive to lay new track or hire more train crews to support BNSF volume growth and seasonal traffic surges. 25 years ago, BNSF CEO Rob Krebs sought to undo the lease, but the savvy MRL owner, the Washington companies, knew a good deal when they saw one and would not budge. Since then, BNSF has taken the carrot and stick approach. At times, it offered MRL more volume in exchange for capacity expansion projects. At other times, BNSF diverted traffic off the MRL to the high line, but neither approach or good faith efforts could get BNSF and MRL on the same page. Before the pandemic hit, a traffic surge tapped out capacity on the high line. MRL couldn't serve as a relief valve because it did not have enough crews or sightings. Traffic backed up on the BNSF with congestion raising costs and taking a toll on service. The bottom line, the BNSF could, can't take full advantage of millions spent on capacity projects unless the MRL constraint is removed. So I'll kind of end it there so we don't keep reading on, but as you can, we can see where this is going. Um, the BNSF had to get it back. Um, the MRL didn't have any incentive, as, as the article stated, uh, didn't have any incentive in order to help the BNSF increase traffic flow up there. Uh, MRL was good with the traffic they were getting. They were okay with the money they were receiving and didn't see the need to take on uh, something more than what they felt comfortable taking. But in this in this present time, um, 
in this present time right now, this isn't conducive to, especially to supply chain issues, to and from ports, you know, uh, other areas being um, capacity constrained. Um, BNSF had much, didn't have much of a choice. Um, I'm glad this time that the MRL went ahead and said, I, and I would say MRL is doing the right thing by doing this because they are, they realize that their that that their operating philosophy uh, may may be conducive to them, but it may not be conducive to the overall transportation network of the country. Henceforth, even the supply chain of America. So I'm kind of in in that respect. I'm glad that the uh, MRL has recognized that and was willing to go ahead and terminate this lease so that BNSF can take it back into their fold and. And, and do what they need to do with it in order to make this uh, make this a second leg of the uh, Northern Transcon. Uh, basically, you know, return it back to its root, uh, to the roots that it, it originated in. So um, this is actually an article by also by Bill Stevens, the way he breaks it down. And he touches on a, a lot of the facets of what, um, what's led to this decision and what's gonna happen moving forward. So, that's just, you know, I said, I, I think it's a good move. I think it's a necessary move. Uh, what's kind of, what's your take on it? I mean, I, I find it interesting that, I mean, when you look at the math, BNSF uh, currently operates around, what, 59% of Montana's uh, rail system in, in the state. And by taking it back, they, you know, pretty much, they control 84% of that. So numbers-wise, I mean... BNSF is like, you could say more than cornered the market to carry any and everything out of the state. Um, so, I mean, we already know they're huge as far as being a class one, but I mean, in that state alone, um, they are, I mean, they're the big kids on the block. You know what I mean? Um, right. I, I, I just, it's amazing to me. And I didn't believe that when I was looking at the map of how transportation is broken down in Montana and, um, you know, how, you know, it just, it just really, it just really was, was mind boggling to me, you know, where the other railroads in Montana, man, like, you know, it, it, the competition just don't seem there. Like, um, that, I think, I think that is what, you know, when you look at it, there are what more than 3,300 miles of rail run by 12 companies. And BNSF operates 59% of those rail lines with Montana Railing operating at 25%. Um, I mean, but once it's folded, that's, you know, it, it's just interesting to me. And, and we always talk about the STB and competition and things like that. But like, what happened in Montana that, that BNSF just seems to be like the end, the, the beginning of the end? Um, so... I think that's what was interesting to me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's definitely something worth watching. I, 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 I wonder, and, you know, I got nothing to back this up, of course. Uh, but I just wonder when this hearing happens, you know, even though BNSF has taken, um, you know, what was actually theirs to begin with, if you could say that, I just wonder, what, you know, can any other railroad step in and say, hey, you know, we were like, you know, trackage rights or something to that effect, you know, when this happens, when 
you know, if this is appro- this is approved and things like that. Uh, like I said, I'm not an expert in um, in all legal matters. Uh, I don't even play one on TV. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I just <laughs> I'm just curious as to can, is that something that can be brought up when this goes to you know when this goes before the STB. I mean, when you look at the numbers, the numbers are just ridiculous. You know what BNSF does and will do when this is you know, back under their umbrella, if you will. That's, that's, uh, sorry, man, that's, I, 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 I got some, uh, good news here going on in the background. That's all. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's going to be, I don't think the, uh, STB is, uh, well, let's 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 step back a little bit to what you were talking about. When you look at that map that I, I that I shared, when you look at the other in Montana, yeah, it ain't much other. There is no other. There was Montana Rail Link and like um, Montana Rail Link and um, BNSF. That's it. I was looking to see if the UP, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, if they delved into Montana at all, and it's like, no. Uh, so I don't even know, you know, even from a, if they wanted to be there, they would be there, is what I would say. I don't think they want to be there. So uh, the competition thing can't even, I don't even think the competition thing is going to even really shake out to be an issue because if somebody else wanted to be there, they would be there. You know, I, I'd, uh, I mean, I'd have to agree with that. It's just, man, I, you know, and and, and there could be other places on the map that are like that. Um, no, there, there, I just are. Never, there are. <laughs> I just never seen one railroad dominate a whole state like that. Like, I mean, just completely dominate. Um, right. And um, I, I just... You know, the numbers, I don't know why. Again, I don't know why the numbers were just really kicking me in the face. Like, man, yeah. like they, they really, like, I, I mean, like, we want to move this by rail. Yeah, you only got one. You really only got one option. Depending right. on where in Montana you are, you only have one option. Um, so, you know, I, I just wonder, though, with, with that with that territory, with that going, with MRL folding under on, on BNSF, just, you know, will that, you know, is that, will that be a topic of conversation, you know, for any other railroad to be like, hey, you know, at least track its rights or something, right. you know, like, I just, I just wonder if that's, you know, so it's, it's just worth, a, it's just worth looking into, you know, but right. that, that's my take on that, especially when you look at the numbers. Yeah, it's, they said at, at this point, I, it's, I'm fairly certain it's going to happen. Um, it's going to be a, a sad end, but a necessary end. I mean, all good things don't last. And at this point, this needs to be done to, I mean, to facilitate the growth, the traffic growth up north. Um, at this point, the BNSF was basically like, look, we understand, I get, you know, y'all don't want to have do this. Y'all don't have to do this. But we really need, like, we need this as a corporation. We need to have this flexibility, you know? So 
Um, and one good aspect of it is if you can, they're they're going to probably hire people up there. So I don't think it's it's I think it's going to actually increase jobs uh, in that area for people that's willing to go to Montana to, to run trains. I think it's going to increase jobs because they actually already mentioned like, look, we need additional crews up there. You know, when they couldn't relate, uh, the Montana railing couldn't operate as a relief valve because they didn't have uh, possibly the manpower, you know, not only the infrastructure, but they didn't have the manpower. So, you know, you'll probably see them looking to hire people up there in that area to, you know, to, to facilitate this, you know, this growth that they're going to see up there. It's nothing saying that it's not, that it's going to stop growing. It may even increase. So uh, all in all, I said, yeah, sad it's going to be a sad end to a regional, but it's a necessary. Uh, it's not like it's being abandoned, right. which I, you know, which would be a whole different conversation. You know, um, it's not being downgraded. It's it's being taken over to be upgraded, which is very rarely, especially nowadays with PSR, it's very rare that you see that. Uh, you know, I was we we kind of talked a little bit offline, like. You know, is there anywhere else in the country where something like this could happen? And I, you know, first thing that came to mind in my area was where the CSX leases uh, from Tolleston Junction in Gary, Indiana, to I'm trying to remember the endpoint in uh, Ohio, but they leases uh, they lease uh, that portion of line from the CSX, and it's like, would the CSX ever do that to the CF and E? My answer is no, <laughs> because if they were, they would have done it already, especially. You know, with with all of the you know the different stuff, but CSX is say that their lines are fluid and they don't. That's excess capacity. So, you know, could this happen somewhere else? It could, but like I said, the example I I I, I you know that's range out of my head is the CSX and CF and E, and I just don't see it happening. So I don't think this is like a something that's going to be a precedence. You know, we've had other times where rail lines. Um, we're spun off to other railroads, you know, to create short lines. And then eventually the, the railroad would either buy it back. But like, this is different because this was leased. But in other situations where smaller regionals, I remember when the uh, Chicago Central and Pacific was created here in, in the Midwest from former IC Granger lines. And eventually the Chicago Central was, guess what, reacquired by the Illinois Central, which they went back after they made a profitable, set up a good model. They said, you know what? All right, we want that back. And then they, they bought it back from them. So this is a little bit different with it being a lease as opposed to outright selling and then reacquiring, you know, re, you know, reacquiring it. But it's the same principle. It's like, can you drive something? I, I guess those regionals have been successful in turning what, what, what big class ones thought was excess capacity or... Um, redundant track and turn it back into a profitable business model. And then they'd be like, okay, we like that. Let's get that back. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be interesting. You know, I think this is going to be a good, a good, uh, I think it's going to be a good move for the BNSF as a whole. I know you mentioned some of the labor issues and different things like that, but you know, it's a different, I think the railroads need to adjust. And this is, this is just opinion, adjust on how, um, we operate things, you know, even even to off days that are provided for crews, you know, um, at some point in time, 
this ain't this ain't as as I would say as my grandfather worked for the IHB back in the uh, mid. It's funny to say it's mid twentieth century, but this isn't my grandfather's railroad anymore. Where those where guys worked seven days a week, they worked twelve hour shifts, they worked you know work 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 work, and that was the motto of the game. That was the that was the name of the game. You want to support your family, you worked and worked and you worked. And it's like nowadays, that's not the same uh, mindset that people have. People want to be able to go to work and provide for their family, but they also want to be able to do other things outside of work, not just spend their entire life pushing buttons or driving train. Or, you know, people don't want that model and you know that model. So at some point, to address these labor issues and some of these different things going kind of going on a little bit of a different tangent, but. This stuff is going. To, things are going to, have to change a little bit. We're going to have to shake up how we how we look at at crews. We're going to have to look at how we do crew calling or or how we staff trains or staff facilities. You know, people it, it people mindsets have changed a lot. Like I said, this ain't this ain't railroad the of the between the nineteen twenties and the nineteen shoot. I even say in the two thousand tens, the mindsets have changed over the last century. People. People don't want that. So it'll be interesting to see how this roll in and interesting to see when the BNSF, because I know they're going to hire, when they open up, how many applicants they actually get or how many people they're actually able to hire. So it'll be interesting, man. I said, this is, this is, this is, this is definitely not going to be the last time we talk about it, but this is definitely something interesting on the, on the, uh, on the, on the uh, grid that came kind of out of nowhere, but it didn't. So we'll see what happens with it. Indeed, man. We could definitely make that an episode, though. Um, <laughs> you know, about the new age of new generation of railroading. No, man, I, I know uh, those are pretty much the two topics we're going to cover for today. Uh, you got anything else in closing uh, before we get out of here, brother? No, nah, man, it's great to be back, man. I look forward to many more episodes, man. We got so many things to discuss. So. Yes, sir, definitely. And just want to say thanks to everybody for tuning in for uh, episode one of our season two, season premiere of the Divergent Clip Podcast. Remember, you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, Google Play, Anchor. Make sure you click that like button, click the subscribe button. Thank y'all for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you soon. Stay safe out there. Stay out of trouble. I'll try to do the same. And Brother Jermaine, we'll talk soon. You got it, man. Diverging Clear is sponsored by EME Rail Solutions, LLC. We don't own rail cars, locomotives, or tracks. But if you do, we provide cutting-edge solutions to maximize your assets. Visit us at emerail.net to learn more. The Diverging Clear podcast is also brought to you in part by Precision Logistics, LLC. Precision Logistics, LLC, meeting tomorrow's logistical needs today. Visit www.precisionlogisticsllc.info to learn how.